Welcome into Two Foreign Drafts. Austin Gale here with my guy Mike Renner on Two Foreign Drafts, a Rookies and Draft Prospects podcast. Today we are going to do a free agency and NFL draft preview of every AFC team in the NFL. We also have on the back end of the podcast interviews with Purdue's Rondale Moore and Stanford offensive tackle Walker Little. Let's get it. Mikey Mike, back in studio. I'm, I'm wearing the uh, yellow sweater that I was openly mocked for that last time we went out. People are like, why would you ever wear yellow? It's a terrible color. It's called a bold statement, okay? You come out and wear yellow say, hey, I'm wearing yellow because I'm, I'm a better person than you. Anyone can wear black or your muted-ass blue. I come out and yellow say, yeah, I'm here. You were openly mocked for that? I thought you were mocked for not wearing the same shirt that you always wear. When you go. Yeah, yeah, I know, no. That was another reason I was mocked. But, you know, you can't win them all here. But um, here on the, on the episode today, I don't have any old stories to bring up. Well, I have one, but I have... My mom's in town. Yeah. The Grand Theft Auto Survivor, you know, is in town. She's she's staying at my house, and I have a couple of treats for you here. She is her diet is absolutely bonkers. So she's been staying with me for a couple of days now. And um, I went to the grocery store, grabbed her some food, and she's like, I want soda, energy drinks, cereal, Oreos, cookies, all this random stuff. I come back with like a load from the grocery store, or whatever. I get there. First thing she does is she's uh, next morning, she gets some cereal, and I got Captain Crunch and Lucky Charms, two of the classics. But I forgot to get the Captain Crunch with berries. You know, I got the regular one where it just has the little yellow squares. And she's like, oh, man, like, that's not really sweet enough for me. I'll just have the Lucky Charms. And I'm like, what? Do you think the berries make a freaking significant enough. difference? The anyway, oops, that's... Like the Oops All Berries is just berries. Though. I know. That's I should have gotten the fucking Oops All Berries. But the other thing that she did, so she, what, her drink of choice this week has been Dr. Pepper mixed with Red Bull mixed with tequila. It has been, honestly, some savagery I've never seen before. That's That sounds awful. It sounds horrendous. And then a little squirt of lime. You know, why not? You know, we, we should sample pools. it on the podcast. We, we, might we should have to make s- some. I'll bring it in. Drink I'll it bring it in. Um, but, uh, yeah, she's staying here for a little bit. To preface this, my mom's diet is not new to me. I, I There was a time in college where she came down for a visit in San Diego, and we went to breakfast. She got a stack of pancakes, four pancakes. Um, and... She went on to do one of the most disgusting things I've ever seen anyone do at a restaurant. So she has a stack of pancakes here. I'm going to try and model this for you, Quinn. Stack of four. First thing she does, she grabs, and this is after she's dumped half the can of sugar into her coffee. It looks like milk. Regardless, she has the stack of pancakes here. She, no syrup yet, no butter. Hey, we're good. Grabs the butter knife, cuts a perfect square in the middle of the four pancakes. So then she, you, you come out of it, and it's just like this little square of like a four stack. Sets it on the side. Grabs the syrup. Pours it into the square, lets it fill to the brim, to the brim of the pancakes, and then stops, lets it soak into the damn cakes. To, so now the syrup's not in the square anymore and doubles down, gets a little more in there, and then she pours it all over the pancakes. And then the little square that she pulled out of there, she grabs a little in. dip in it, a little dip, like a little, I don't even know, like milk and cookies, dude. It, so she's been on this run for a while, and the junk food is, is absolutely incredible. It's like a pancake I- version of a bread bowl. Yes, like exactly, you eat the exactly. red bowl when you're done eating your soup. But instead of the soup, it's, it's syrup. Pancakes. <laughs> I kind of like, like it. I don't want to ask her weight. I'll just, I, I have a picture in my head. We... She's surprisingly not like an absolute okay. blimp. Like she's okay. like decent. You know, she's like, she's normal size. Yeah. It, she just has metabolism yeah. like no other. Uh, she wants to go ice skating this weekend, which, yes. or this week at some point. She's still here. She's still in the house. Um, and I, it, brought, it reminds me of a story that I, I mentioned to Quinn, producer Quinn, before that I wanted to tell. 
Last time I went ice skating, I was in fifth grade, got invited to my fifth grade crush's birthday party. Noel something. I don't remember last. Flores. Noel Flores, if you're listening, holler at your boy. Uh, Noel Flores. <laughs> Noel Flores uh, invited me to her fifth grade party. I, I, I'm ready to rock and roll, dude. I, I, I was like, hey, I'm going to make my move. Uh, I don't know how to ice skate. Yep. Fifth grade, not a chance. That's... And I'm ice skating. We're trying to grind it out and all that stuff. Um, it's it's probably a terrible affair. I'm I'm ice skating a couple distance, a couple lengths behind her, and she takes a spill. I don't know how to stop on the skates. I don't know how to stop on the skates. So over. she's 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 hands out on the floor. I'm trying to stop, just like scrambling. I I can't picture it. I'm just scrambling. Skate over her finger. It doesn't come off. It doesn't come off. Skate over her finger. Oh. Blood squirts all over the ice. Everyone's screaming. I'm screaming. She's crying. I'm crying. Um, she ends up getting pushed off the ice. Parents end the party early. Cake hasn't been eaten. Presents haven't been opened. <laughs> My dad comes and picked me up, and I had to tell him the whole story all crying. Uh, let's just go say this. Noel Flores never – No, we never hit it off. We, we never got back together after that. Ice skating looks so much fun when you're good. Yes, absolutely. If you don't know how, it is legit dangerous, though. Like, you eat it hard. Yes, sometimes. and the ice hurts, and getting yeah. off the ice sucks. Yeah. I don't know why it's so coveted. My mom wants to go, though. I'll try and give it a give it a swing. If she um, doesn't know how to ice skate, it's not going to end well. I'm just saying yeah, that. and with her diet, I don't know, man. It, <laughs> it, it's been an absolute treat, though, to have Mama Gale in, in Cincinnati for the week. Let's go ahead and get into the pod here. We wanted to talk AFC previews, previews for all 32, no, all 16 AFC teams. On the Wednesday podcast, we will have all 16 previews for the NFC teams, but let's go ahead and dive right into this AFC preview. But before we start, I think you should mention what you mentioned on the last episode about what, how to address yes. things in free agency and then how to address things in the draft. Yeah, we're going to give kind of our take on what these teams should do or what's a realistic option for them in free agency. But I think it's important to remember that philosophically, free agency is not the lifeblood of your team. You can be smarter than teams in the draft. You can make better decisions and you can scout better because there are more unknowns, so to speak, in the draft. So your edge can be bigger in the draft. In free agency, you've seen these guys play for four or five years, if not more, in the NFL against NFL competition. You're not going to be smarter than a lot of other teams. There's, no, there's not a big amount of market inefficiencies to take advantage of. Maybe you can you know, have guys who are better scheme fits for you, guys who are maybe positions that you covet more than other teams around the league and that you can win at. But the amount of guys who have truly been under the radar free agents, who have been middling signings and then gone on to be elite players, the Casey Haywards of the world. That's the first name I thought of. The Andrew Whitworths of the world. Those are so few and far between. That does not happen. So you're not going to necessarily win. So free agency is to plug out needs in your roster. Free agency is for need. The draft is to find those value plays, those guys that are going to be. Because the free agency oftentimes is a two- to three-year decision. Even if you sign a guy to a big contract and he works out well, sometimes, oftentimes, by that third year, the cap hits so much that you're just like, ah, shit, we got we to yeah. cut him or we got to do something. We got to restructure. It's not, it is not a long-term decision. The draft, however, is at least a four-year, if not five-year, if it's first-rounder. And then beyond that, if you're trying to say, that is how you build a roster. So if you're a team that has not drafted well of late, that doesn't have a young core, it does not necessarily behoove you to just start spending wildly in free agency because, again, you're not going to make up that – you're not going to get that edge. You're just going to be kind of throwing money around uh, to try to get competitive. You're not going to be competing for Super Bowls if you have not drafted well in recent years. Let's get into it, man. AFC, we're starting with the AFC North. Pittsburgh Steelers, cap space total, 
negative $26.1 million right now. Obviously, they're going to have to make some restructuring, yeah. cap casualties, whatever it has to happen to get over the cap again. And, and, and we didn't preface it with this. Right now, according to multiple sources, that the NFL's floor for the free or for the salary cap in 2021 will be $180 million. I've heard from some cap experts that the ceiling's going to be $188 million or in that range. That's a significantly lower mark than what it's been in the past, due in large part to the COVID nineteen impact. Over 20, $25 million of what was budget, lower than what was budgeted by NFL teams because you assume yes. some sort of you don't assume a pandemic. Yeah, <laughs> you don't assume a pandemic. You don't assume the impact COVID nineteen has had on NFL revenue. But Pittsburgh Steelers negative twenty six point one million dollars in cap space. Free agents, kind of some big names: Bud Dupree, Alejandro Villanueva, the, one of the better slot corners in the NFL, and Mike Hilton. Uh, and then Juju Smith-Schuster also on that list, among others. Cap casualty candidates, let's start there. Ben, ben Roethlisberger. Like, That's the biggest one. 20 million, ben you can save 20 million. If Ben Roethlisberger wants to come back and play for the Pittsburgh Steelers, should the Steelers even entertain that? that that's my question. I don't think they should. I don't think so either. You're 20, you By cutting him, you save $20 million. You have negative 26 million cap space. You need to shed $26 million cap space. That's where you start. And... You, you're just not going to have. You're just not going to be a major player at the quarterback position this year with the way the rest of that roster is developed. Yes, you can kick the can and uh, you know push some salaries for guys this year, turn them into bonuses, and create some space that way. But there's not a lot to be had on this roster to where one, they're not going to be major players in free agency, and two, they just can't they can't fit Ben Roethlisberger with that deal as currently construct, constructed. And there's no way of saving really a ton more on his deal with when it was signed. So. Your only real option at the quarterback position is someone like Cam Newton, Jameis Winston. It is a budget bargain option at quarterback next year. And another name I'd throw into the mix if they do move on from Ben Roethlisberger in 2021 is Marcus Mariota. Yeah. And I know he's still currently rostered on the Las Vegas Raiders, but low, low trade option, low contract. He's right still now. $11 million though this year. Really? Yeah. So he's not a super low trade. So maybe option. Pittsburgh can't even get into that I market. Know, right? That's tough. I mean, they're they're in a they're in a rough spot because I'll tell you right now, Jameis Winston at what they what the Saints sign him at like three million. Yeah, last year. you you sign him to three to five million dollar contract. I think you're going to yield similar, if not better, results with Winston starting than with Ben Rossberger in 2020, yeah. which may be a, a bit of a hot take. But I, I got another one to throw in there, and I hate to say it, Andy Dalton, Andy, Andy, he Big knows man. the team, he knows the division, he's a free agent, he's not going to cost a ton of money. Dude, I would hate I to see like it because I love Andy. But I don't want to see him in a Steelers uniform. Dude, but it would make sense. Queen City, Cincinnati would be in an uproar if yeah. they saw Andy Dalton change his stripes. I would be very upset. That would be rough, I'd be very dude. upset. Man, but Andy Dalton, Cam yep. Newton, Jameis Winston, I do think they have to swing the bat on one of those low-tier free agents because yeah. bringing Ben Bo- Ben Roethlisberger back, who ranked, I think, outside the top 20 in PFF grade in 2020, yeah. I, I don't think that's the move. Yeah, and, and you can pretty much, I mean, Bud Dupree, Juju, you kiss him goodbye. Mm-hmm. I don't. I don't see a world in where they keep guys like that. Is there yeah. an obvious target? Let's let's look at the draft a little bit. Is there an obvious target at the back end of the first round for the Pittsburgh Steelers, positionally wise? Offensive line. That's yeah. the most obvious. You lost Pouncey. You're likely going to lose Alejandro Villanueva if you do. At that point, you, you don't have a lot there. Like you got yeah. your guard. You you got to Castro, and then guys. So. Who That's should be the go. priority to re-sign if they can? Bud Dupree, Mike Hilton, Juju Smith-Schuster? I think Mike Hilton would be the ch- most bang for your buck. Yeah. And possibly Alejandro Villanueva because of his age. He's already in his mid-30s. Won't be super coveted with a big contract. But Mike Hilton's like a very, very good, one of a top three slot cornerback in the NFL. But teams still don't necessarily value the slot that highly. 
All right, let's go ahead and jump now to the Cleveland Browns. Right now uh, with $20.2 million in cap space, but a ton of free agents. Carl Joseph, Larry Ogunjobi, Olivier Vernon, Terrence Mitchell, Rashard Higgins, some cap casualties potentially, if not trade candidates, Odell Beckham Jr., Sheldon Richardson, Jarvis Landry, and, and still a ton of needs. Needs at safety, linebacker, interior defensive line. They are a team that, you know, J.J. Watt is interested in, went to the playoffs last year, won a playoff game last year, how, how what what decisions do they need to make this offseason to kind of push themselves over the edge potentially even win the AFC North next year yeah so they have space and the interesting conversation to me will be the Odo Beckham what do you do with Odo Beckham because he is 15.7 million dollars against the cap but with no dead money so if they traded him cut him you get 15 million dollars there and in this free agency market this year that can that can net you two starters and we saw how the offense yeah, maybe it's a better offense with Odell Beckham. That's a big maybe, though, considering that they just had him and Baker Mayfield have not meshed, have not been on the same page in terms of just effectiveness when they, he's been on the field. And now some could say, oh, he wasn't on you know, first year in Stefanski's offense. Obviously, it's going to get better down the stretch. I think some of that is just Odell Beckham and Baker Mayfield's relationship. I don't think like Baker Mayfield forces it to him too much, whatever it is. Is it Odell's fault? Is it Baker's fault? I don't know, but it does. it's not working out. It's not worth $15 million on your cap this next year to figure out after an ACL, in my opinion. So if you can get something back from him in return for a trade, I would do that in a heartbeat if I were Cleveland Browns and use that $16 million elsewhere to bring maybe guys like Olivier Byrne back on the cheap because just getting another guy in that defensive line across from Miles Garrett who's effective, I think should be 1A on your offseason list of things to do because once you get another guy that's effective as a pass rusher, it just – smooths out some holes in the back end. Everyone keeps saying, oh, get a linebacker, get a linebacker. B.J. Goodson's free agent, Malcolm Smith's free agent. I don't think that's that massive of a need. I'd rather have an impact pass rusher across Miles Garrett that you know this year is going to get the job done. That can get you into the mix right away. Two questions off of that. Should they be a primary player for J.J. Watt services? And how soon should they be thinking about a Baker Mayfield extension? Yeah, 100%. J.J. Watt, Olivier Vernon, I wouldn't think about an extension at all until he shows it after this next year. You got the you got the fifth year option still, and you have his and the franchise cake after that. There's no hurry on that. Mm-hmm. He played well down the stretch. Prove it again. I, I would love. You need to see him take the next yeah. step in Stefanski's offense. And if they do bring Odell Beckham Jr. back, and if he is on this team, you need to see him do it with o- Odell Beckham Jr. Yeah, one of the highest paid wide receivers in the NFL. Yeah, I honestly, I don't, I don't think Odell will be back. Wow. If you're telling me Odell for 16 million, or Will Fuller for maybe 10, 12 million. Give me Will Fuller all day, every day. Really? Wow. Because Hot take. Social team's on that. Social team is on that. Don't Graphics that, are coming. All right, let's jump to the Baltimore Ravens here. Baltimore Ravens right now have $18.1 million in projected cap space. Some free agents, Unique Ngakwe, Matt Udon, Willie Sneed. Not a ton of big names here. Unique Ngakwe maybe is the biggest name. I think it might be Judon. I don't know why I said Udon. <laughs> Sorry about that. Uh, Matt Judon, uh, some cap casualty candidates, Calais Campbell and his deep-ass voice. Biggest needs, wide receiver, man. Can we start the biggest need at wide receiver? Yeah. You know, George Chahuri on the PFF forecast, which I encourage you all to check out, said give Lamar Jackson a wide receiver one before we start really having all these hot takes on him being a legitimate franchise piece for them. Because I do think he hasn't had that. I, I also think you don't necessarily need a wide receiver one. If you just had uh, multiple guys who can win, I think they'll be fine. Like you don't need to go out and get Allen Robinson or Kenny Galladay. You can go out and I think get a solid Corey Davis. And I think that will 
you can get your offense back on track with a guy like that. I, I think the resources would be better spent shoring up interior offensive line. You got $18 million. It's not a ton of cap space. I think interior offensive line, I'm, I'm throwing a couple vets, the guys I highlight here, Quentin Spain, Mike Ayupati, who are larger run block first guards that can help that running game and would come cheaply, I would imagine. That's where I would start if I'm the Baltimore Ravens because that interior was so bad last year. That just It's one of the easiest offensive lines in the NFL with the way it's schemed to play in. And to be that bad is like you should be much, much better than that. Do you think they need to address defensive line though? Like Ngakwe, Derek Wolf, Matt Judon, Pernell McPhee, and Tyus Bowser yeah, losing a lot, yeah. are all and expected they, to hit the free agent market. Do they, they resign some of those guys? Do they attack Campbell. that in the draft? It's tough. I, I don't know where the market's going to end up on Ngakwe. They might, Ngakwe and Judon, they might end up having to do like a Jadavian Clowney thing where it's just not going to be, they're not going to get that $100 million deal they want because of the way this offseason's going, that they might be able to get a guy like that back for cheap. Man, that's going to be, I mean, the Baltimore Ravens, I think, have been mocked a ton like in the secondary, and I've been on board with that, maybe getting a Trayvon Morig or J.C. Horn or something at the back end of the first, but maybe they do have to look at defensive line and what is like a project-heavy edge class, like a Jalen Phillips, Quiddy Pay, Jason Owe. I will say it's also a really strong free agent safety class, and they've obviously coveted safeties in free agency in recent years, veteran-type guys, to bring into that Eric Weddle, yeah. Earl Thomas. That's been their MO, smart bring in smart free agents that they can trust right away at safety position, not have a learning curve. So maybe that's where they go to because it's super deep. Like Justin Simmons, Marcus Williams, Marcus May, a lot of safety talent. Trey Boston just got released. Yeah, like I, I wouldn't be surprised if they go there also. And you can check out PFF's top 200 ranked free agents on PFF.com. Go to PFF.com and check that out. We have all 200 free agents ranked with projected contracts as well. It's super cool, the tool too. You can sort oh, by yeah, position, the board. you can sort by whatever the team needs are specifically to see what the board looks like. Yeah, Google 2021, PFF 2021 free agency board. That's another cool resource as well. Cincinnati Bengals next on the list here. Decent amount of cap space, $37.6 million in projected cap space, but some guys they probably want to resign and William Jackson III, who I think is a top 20 free agent on our board. Same with Carl Lawson, the edge defender there, and some others too. Mackenzie Alexander, A.J. Green might have played his last down in Cincinnati. I'm sure Quinn would hate to see that. And then you also have cap casualties already. Trey Wayne, who they signed last offseason, didn't play this year due to injury. He's You could save $6 million with that cut. Atkins, the veteran Geno Atkins at $9.5 million potential savings there. Bobby Hart at 5.8. They're probably going to clear some room here and maybe make a big push. They need to go all in like Brandon Bean did a few years ago with Josh Allen in his second year. They need to cut some of these guys, maybe re-sign Jackson, maybe re-sign Lawson, and then throw the kitchen sink at, at players in free agency here. Try and get some real blue chip type of talents to build around Joe Burrow. I think this is the offseason they do it. Yeah, CJ Uzama likely cap cut too. He's due. Five million, you'd say five million there as well. Didn't he have a really bad injury this past year too? Better elsewhere. Yeah, he tore his Achilles. So I I think those are all likely. The Waynes one's interesting. I I would bet a lot of money they don't cut him Mm -hmm. because he didn't play. Try to justify (laughs) the to to try to justify their sunk cost fallacy there by just saying, oh, we we fucked up, but we're going to try to shoehorn this in anyway because we don't want to admit we fucked up just yet. Which whatever the Geno Atkins one. Bengals legend, but last year, like, was not worth a fifteen million dollar cap hit that he's going to be do this year. So that one's going to be interesting to see exactly what the plan is there. But I do think they could be with that thirty-seven million dollars in space. It could be some players. Now, I'd lo- I do think they need to re-sign William Jackson. He's too talented of a cornerback to let go. 
has been put in the best situations. It's much more of a man corner than a zone corner. Uh, and has not been playing in a man heavy scheme over the course of his career, sadly. So I would love to see him stay there, but he might choose to go elsewhere. They might have to tag him if they really want him to stay there. If I were them, one, one of the blue chip offense alignment, I'd go Tooney, Scherf, Mouton, one of those three. What about Trent Williams? I like that as a play too. Possibly Trent Williams. Does Trent Williams really want to go there? He probably wants a ring at this point in his career. You don't he think the Bengals are going to the Super Bowl? Quinn, cover your ears. <laughs> Sorry, guys. And then I'd make a play for like Jadavon Clowney. He's, he's not, his contract's not getting any bigger after what he put on tape last season. And the fact him rolling into camp and just like, I don't think anyone's going to give him another big deal. I, that's the guy, I think that could help out your defensive line if Carl Lawson doesn't stay. Man, I, I really do think though that the Cincinnati Bengals should like make some power moves in free agency. Resign or tag William Jackson, resign Carl Lawson, yeah. go get one of those big name uh, free agent offensive linemen, like really try to build around Joe Burrow. Not in the goal to go to the Super Bowl, have some realistic expectations, mm-hmm. but with the goal to take a huge step forward, get eight, nine uh, and, wins. And, under and I think belt. that's the other thing about re-signing a guy like Trent or signing a guy like Trent Williams it's like you want a guy who's going to be there in three years yeah Trent Williams at least two be, years but yeah <laughs> at least two years like you you're not necessarily making that play for just 2021 talk about the end of an era though AJ Green Geno Atkins might be on their way out yeah. Bobby Hart who I know is a big everyone in Cincinnati loves Bobby Hart I think he's been really productive over <laughs> another another one I hate to say too Geo yeah that's they got the ring of honor now it's Bobby Hart going to the ring of honor Mike who knows I'd say yes. <laughs> Gio, Giovanni Bernard, yes. too, has a mustache that can compete. That mustache he's got is, is quite the... I was going to say, two best mustaches in Cincinnati. Right Gio. now. Right now, at least. All right, let's go to AFC South now. Tennessee Titans right now currently projected at minus $2.2 million in projected cap space. Some big names in free agency, too. Corey Davis, Desmond King, Jayon Brown, who I think is an underrated athletic off-ball linebacker. And then, obviously, Jonu Smith, the tight end, and Jadavion Clowney. Like, there are some guys there that... They probably would like to re-sign, but will be going elsewhere. Uh, potential cap casualties we have listed, Malcolm Butler, Roger Saffold, Adam Humphreys could save north of, what, $20 million by cutting those three. Um, what's the move for the Tennessee Titans here? Yeah, I think Humphreys is gone. You save $5 million. Cutting him, it's not done much for the Titans. And he's, he's not a number two. That's a number three at best for you. They need a number two. So um, not a lot of space, though, you know. Are they really going to cut Malcolm Butler? Like, he's still fine. You save a lot of space by cutting him, but, like, you still need cornerback. So I don't know if they will necessarily. So not going to they're, – they're going to be low-level players at best, maybe like a Brashad Perriman, Nelson Aguilar at wide receiver, if you're really – that's where you want to go. I, I don't foresee them putting much out in free agency. This is – they're going to have to win through the draft if they're going to – improve that roster yeah. the most commonly mocked position for the Tennessee Titans at least recently has been edge at the back end of yeah. the first round them going after a guy Rightfully like so. Jalen Phillips Quiddy Pay, Jason Owe uh, Gregor Rousseau Aziz Ojolari I think is commonly mocked to the Tennessee Titans is that the obvious pick for them I know they have my problem is that they, they have needs in the secondary man like they, and if they do cut Malcolm Butler that need gets even bigger Dory Jackson has been injury prone and yeah. has not developed to that T yeah, Desmond Christian King Fulton, could be on his way out yeah Christian Fulton I think they're, I think they're all, they're all right enough in the secondary if they don't cut Malcolm Butler. Okay. To where, yeah, edge is easily their biggest need. I'd say they just need a pass rush. All right, let's jump to the Colts here. A lot of money. Indianapolis can make some money moves here. Forty-three point six million dollars oh, yeah. in projected cap space. Will be looking to potentially resign some of these free agents. Xavier Rhodes 
had a really nice comeback season in that Indianapolis Colts defense. T.Y. Hilton could be on his way out. Justin Houston, T.J. Carey, Marlon Mack, I think, is easily on his way out. I also think former Raider Danico Autry has been a really productive player for that defense. I, I could see them re-signing a handful of these guys to one-year, two-year deals because some of them have played their best football in Indianapolis. I would say that for T.J. Carey, for Autry, for Rhodes. Um, I think they could make some moves there. Do you think who are the priority re-signings for the Indianapolis Colts? You, you got to keep Xavier Rhodes. The scheme fit there is too good. He was perfect for them. I think if you lost him, you don't really have anyone in that roster to easily replace. You'd have to go into the draft and then you know learning curve with draft picks. You just never know. I think Xavier Rhodes, you feel really good. That's who I'd pony up for. But then they could, I think they'll be in the market for a number one type of wide receiver. You got Michael Pittman. Who is not giving his number 11 Who's jersey not. to Carson Wentz. He refuses, which I respect. Stand I up. That favorite tweet about that was, uh, was Big Cat. Barcelona Big Cat said, uh, can you lose a locker room that you never had? <laughs> That's incredible. Because him not giving the number is a power move. Perspective for Michael Pittman. But he's not enough. You need more than one guy. And I don't think T.Y. Hilton... Colts legend. Love him. I don't think he's a good fit for what Wentz, th- like Wentz throws to big dudes. He throws to either his tight ends or a big-ass Alshon Jeffrey. He doesn't care if guys are open. He just wants to know that they're big. And that's a, who he's Because they need catch to. radius. I mean, <laughs> yeah, that guy's one he of knows those he's inactive not quarterbacks in the NFL. Exactly. So you need more than just one Michael Pittman with catch radius. Now, Mo Cox, I think he's a restricted free agent. Got to resign him. Catch radius king. Mm-hmm. He'll probably get 1,000 targets from Carson Wentz next year if they do resign him. Or I think they will. I think he's RFA. So he'll be back. But then Allen Robinson, Kenny Galladay, firmly in the mix for guys like that. Now, Galladay will probably be tagged, but I think they'll firmly they, – they they've, they've shown they're all I've in, got so the plan. Be to I've got the plan. Flip it. Yep. Obviously, you have Michael Pittman Jr. there as your number two. Sign Allen Robinson as your number one. you got to try and develop Paris Campbell as that number three this year. Let's see if he could do it, you know? Mm-hmm. And then your wide receiver four – Draft sleeper, Simi Fajoko, Stanford, six foot five, two something, runs a four three. Let's see that guy as the wide receiver there four in Indianapolis. All big guys, though. Then you re-sign Mo Ali Cox, maybe bring in another monster tight end, Pat Fryermuth. I don't know. Give me something. I, I I definitely like the all big guy move. Yep. All right, let's jump from the Indianapolis Colts here. Um, Texans. They're in an interesting spot. I think you can't build an offseason plan for the Texans yet because we don't know what they're going to do with Deshaun Watson. Right now, according to FanDuel Sportsbook, the favorite to land Deshaun Watson is the Denver Broncos, not the Houston Texans. So right now they have $5.9 million in projected cap space. Big free agencies, big potential free agents leaving are Fernand Hargraves and Will Fuller, obviously. There's also a ton of cap casualties. They could get rid of both running backs, David Johnson and Duke Johnson, for over 11 mil. Bradley Roby for 8.2. Brandon Cooks for 12. What the hell do they do? Do they completely clean out and just cut all these guys and move on from Will Fuller, trade Deshaun Watson and just completely hit reset? Or so he, do they try and keep some of this together? So here's the problem, in my opinion. There's the, the, the problem. There's fucking a thousand problems in Houston. But here's Houston, we have a problem. what I would worry about if I'm Houston Texans fans is that that is your best bet, in my opinion, cleaning house. Not with Deshaun Watson, though, but with the rest of that roster in terms of shed space, suck next year but you're a little too good to suck with Sean Watson. Like I think four and 12 is almost an anomaly. Even if you do clean house, I think you'll still even improve next year in terms of record, but clean house, get the cap space, get yourself kind of reset. But the thing is Jack Easterby is going to bring on like high character guys. You're going to have a team full of BYU and 
the Citadel and Army and Navy uh, draft picks. Like, I, I wonder if they're actually going to, like, that's what I would worry about is by cleaning house. Are you just going to bring Who are they bringing in? Yeah. So, but that's we been can't, the as third parties, can't worry about that. You know, I know if, yeah, if, if all things are equal, our recommendation is to clean house. And then you have to expect that the decision makers in the front office make good decisions to fill the house back up. Yes. But are you that confident it'll happen? Maybe not. It's it's but, such a bad situation in Houston. You, you uh, for those who don't know, picks as possible because you're you don't have picks. You don't have young guys on that roster. You have all second contract impact players because you didn't you gave away all your picks. So whatever. Producer Mike Quinn is also the guy behind the PFF shop. I have a I have a shirt idea. Houston, we have a problem, and then a problem was crossed out, and it says problems. If they cut, if they trade Deshaun Watson, I love that. I think it's going to be. I think it's going to. This is going to be a really I'd bad. It's I a bad twenty twenty one season for Houston. I'll do it today. <laughs> uh, Jacksonville Jaguars. This is another team like the Indianapolis Colts that I think can make some legitimate power moves in free agency and the draft. Honestly, with Trevor Lawrence coming in, Urban Meyer and that new coaching staff, they have seventy seven point six million dollars in projected cap space. Most of any team in the NFL. Most of any team in the NFL. And and honestly, the losses, potential free agent losses, aren't that big. You know, Cam Robinson, Keelan Cole. Josh Jones, D.D. Westbrook, like no Chris Conley, like no big names, no must resigns exactly. of that group, um, and and they could save some money here. You know, cut Cincinnati's own Andrew Norwell and save nine million. Tyler Eifert, five million. AJ Can, five million. Like they can save some money too if they needed to. But yeah, if they needed to, I, I think they're keep like might as well keep them. It's nice to be in a team that kind of just shed all the other. Plus Norwell, I, even, I do think you know regresses back to the mean a bit and plays better football. I remember in Carolina, he's one of the best guards in yeah. football. Yeah, I think you're. You could, you know, go out and get a starting caliber guard for that nine million you save, but it's also just like just let the guy's been on the roster a lot. I, I think they're gonna let him. Like if you're a team that needed cap space, if you're the Steelers, he's getting cut. Yeah, yeah. But Norwell's probably gonna stick. So with all that money, what do they do? I I'm of the opinion that you don't go all in this year. I say a couple nice guys that are gonna be four or five year guys, two or three year guys at least. Because uh, I think your window is actually maybe not this year, but I think year two, you could feasibly win it all. So two year guys, you could like that's why I think Trent Williams could even be good there because Trent Williams is not going to be paid as much as he could feasibly be good for you. God, that was what not the a good hell way of just happened. That. He's he could actually be a value. He could be like the Whitworth, where you could actually get good value out of because no one's because what he had cancer, he has an injury history. He's thirty, going to be thirty three years old next season. No one's going to go out and pay him like Laramie Tunsil or David Bakhtiari. He's not get twenty million a year at tackle. Now he could get fifteen million a year, and that could be that that'd be very worth it for you if you're the Jacksonville Jaguars and he plays two healthy years for you at fifty fifteen million dollars a year. So if he's willing to, uh, that's where I'd start looking. But again, I think legit pieces you know will be there in two or three years. Maybe a little play a little bit in the mid tier free agency range, but I think maybe that's your play next year. So if I'm looking at this roster. Maybe one stud wide receiver, although you could probably find one in the draft, in the Galladay, Allen Robinson, if he wants to come home, may may not the Trent Williams, and then maybe and then like one of the stud safeties in this class, Marcus uh, Williams, Justin Simmons, shore up that safety position so you don't necessarily have to go to the draft either. That's I will be I'm legit at. disappointed if the Jacksonville Jaguars don't at least make a push to bring Allen Robinson back. Yeah, they have. I think they have enough reason for him to be motivated to come back. Like Trevor Lawrence, Urban Meyer, it doesn't and like LaVisca Chenault Jr. Like they have some pieces there. DJ Chark. DJ Chark coming say, back. He would be the missing piece. You want one guy with a catch radius, I would think, to pair with Trevor Lawrence. That's who he'd 
That's who we had at Clemson. And the Detroit you know Lions are going to tag Galladay. You know, we keep talking about Galladay as a target for people. There's just no way yeah. the Detroit Lions let him walk. I think Allen Robinson's your guy if you want the big name possession type. And I think Allen Robinson right now isn't ranked as the best receiver on PFF's agency board, but I would take Robinson over Godwin. Yeah. I would take Allen Robinson over Chris Godwin. I, I think the the Jacksonville Jaguars have to make a push, man. Have to make a push. Introduce him to Trevor Lawrence. It could be a Zoom call. It could be a dinner. I don't know. We've done virtual dates before. We could try it. I have not done a virtual date and we will not. I have done a virtual date before. It wasn't great. I don't think they have to worry about that in Florida, though. True. I think you yeah. can go no, out. COVID Florida, doesn't exist just, in Florida. Yeah. That's right. You have a party. Yeah. Throw them over. We'll throw a rager. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, AFC East here. No jokes about COVID. Come on. Okay, uh, Buffalo Bills, minus $1 million in projected cap space for the Buffalo Bills. Not great. Fradens that uh, could be leaving if they don't resign. Daryl Williams, Brian Winters, Josh Norman, Trent Murphy, and Ty Nasecki. The two offensive, the three offensive linemen there are interesting because they're not like, I mean, Daryl Williams is probably the best of that group or easily the best of that group. Mm-hmm. They might need to make some moves at offense to tackle this offseason and potential cap casualties to save some space here. Vernon Butler at six million, Quentin Jefferson at six and a half. Does the does the conversation start at offensive and defensive line for the Bills? Yeah, I, I think if you want to get over that hump, O line, that's that's where you got to go if you want to get over the top. Now it's a good class in the draft, and I think that's where they'll ultimately go. With pick 30, right? Pick 30? Yep. Pick 30. But offensive line, for sure. Um, this was always the window. Like, this is what they budgeted for year three, year four of Josh Allen's contract. That's where they signed. They've they've been major, major players of free agency for a handful of years. This was always going to be it. So I wouldn't be surprised if they kind of one more, shed some space here and there to try to get one more swing of the bat at maybe a nice free agent to bring in to really shore things up, but unlikely to really be the players they've been in years past. I mean, at this point, it's like we gotta, we're got we only a couple pieces away. You're yep. picking 30. You're only a couple pieces away from going to the big dance. I think right now you have to hit on some picks. You have to hit on some draft they, picks. They Who do. do you think they go after at 30? I would love offensive tackle. Cause Cosme? Guards easier to find. Yeah, someone like Sam Cosme, Dylan Radens, if he's there. Like, get a guy you've seen pass protect and go hoping he hits the ground running. Miami Dolphins, they're in an interesting spot. I mean, they've been like kind of the talk of the offseason, potential suitors for Deshaun Watson, two first-round picks. Does the team hate Tua Tungabailoa? I mean, (laughs) they have been – there's been some wild pieces about the Miami Dolphins. Brian Flores, arguably the coach of the year, if he doesn't lose that Week 17 game that could have gotten him in the postseason. They have $22.8 million. The co-offensive coordinators that they just – Oh, yeah, tell me more about that. (laughs) Their, Their offensive coordinator this year, they just promoted their running backs coach and their tight ends coach. And now they're both office coordinators. My opinion there, and I don't actually hate it. You're kind of a hater on this move. I think if you had one guy creating the game script and calling plays between the 20s and another guy on third and fourth downs and in the red zone that only specialized in those high leverage situations, I think it could be kind of legit. But like, then you don't have a cohesive, like the teams that... But you're not realizing those guys are brothers, twins actually. I think one's black, one's white too. But Adopted twins. <laughs> you, you have... The, the offenses that win have a cohesive – what's the word I'm thinking of? Like, I have no idea. Um, vision. Okay. There we go. A cohesive vision. It's difficult to get a cohesive vision. We With two, two people. people. Yeah. Unless and the head coach Unless they, like, involved. get married, then we can talk. And we'll, you know, anything's possible. All right. Uh, free agents, potential losses. Ted Karras, the offensive lineman. Ryan Fitzpatrick, journeyman quarterback going to the New England Patriots. Maybe the Steelers. Ryan Fitzpatrick to the Steelers. Let's start it now. Ryan Fitzpatrick, if they don't bring back Big Ben, let's get Fitzy in Pittsburgh. That would actually, I'd like. Pittsburgh? 
Make the shirt. <laughs> Make the shirt, Quinn. Fitzburg? Are you serious? <laughs> that would freaking sing. They'd actually probably be pretty good. With Dude, Fitz. I think they would be good with. He's like, he'd fit in there. Social too. team, quote me. Why not Fitzburg? Why not Fitzburg? Make Say it. Have the take. Have the take. Uh, <laughs> I think the Pittsburgh Steelers would be better off with Ryan Fitzpatrick than Big Ben in 2021. There's the take. Alandon Roberts is yep, another. There's your quote graphic. <laughs> Alandon Roberts is another free agent linebacker that they could lose. Uh, some cap casualties to save space. Bobby McCain at 5.7 million. Eric Rowe at 5 million. I'm interested in the Miami Dolphins plan here because I do think they have enough pieces defensively and a coach in Brian Flores that they can win on defense regardless of who they add in free agency and the draft. The problems all surround Tua Tungavailoa on that offense. Can they win and score points offensively enough to go deep in the AFC postseason? Yeah, I think that's the thing, though, when we talk about free agency versus the draft. The wide receiver class is so deep, I don't think they're going to go sign a Galladay. Really? Or Robinson. Robinson. Like 22 million. They have the space, but I think they're going to be firm players in that wide receiver market, whoever, whether it's pick three, trading down pick three, pick 18. I think that's where you're going to see them. And so with that, with that money, you can take that defense to another level is what I would oh, really? end up doing. Now, I would love to for them to add a veteran along the offensive line, but they, they don't really have a spot to fill is the problem. Maybe center, maybe you can get a Corey Lindsley. But like they had a lot of young guys They've drafted a lot of guys in that offensive line. They're trying to shoehorn some fits. They're trying to hope some guys really, you know, develop. So if I'm them, Levante David would look sexy in that defense, or just being someone, one of the safeties in this class, Justin Simmons, Marcus Williams, Marcus May, John Johnson, like that. That could have some bang for your buck because, as we say, safety is a very undervalued position, and those would be upgrades for sure over Bob McCain, Eric Rowe, who again, you could create some space by parting ways with those guys answer the question of what do the Miami Dolphins need to do offensively in the offseason to help most help best help to a tongue of Iloa it's the O-line like that is what it is there's a number of reasons because everyone's why. pointing at the receiving core yeah everyone, everyone's pointing at Najee Harris is the answer at 18 yeah that's not that's not it the receiving core to a degree yes I, they do need to use one of those first round picks on a receiver in my opinion with how deep the wide receiver class is so like you'll get your value so I would target wide receiver with one of those two picks. It's just, man, you're, their plan along the offensive line was so from, what was it, from 2016 to 2019, they drafted one lineman before the fifth. So they drafted Larry Tunsil and then one other lineman before the fifth, Larry Tunsil, and then they traded away. So, And then they used all those picks in offensive linemen last year. They were all rookies. And now if they don't make a year-two leap, you're fucked. Like that was their, like you kind of have to intersperse some veteran talent in there with all those rookies just to, for the. And that's Austin Jackson, Solomon Kinley, Robert Hunt. Robert Hunt. And then the year before that was Michael Dieter. So it's going to be a grind. They are hoping for some development. Hopefully with the, with more of an off season though, I think you could see these guys. I think a lot of rookies that yeah. maybe didn't have good seasons will make jumps. That to me is the bigger thing about the Tua talking about low trade. Oh, why didn't he look whatever, like, why was he so bad as a rookie compared to, like, he had a catastrophic leg injury and then played behind a bottom five pass checking off its line. You think his confidence was near the level it was at Alabama? You think he felt good, like, dropping back to pass? He was panicking, probably, like, in his head, just much, much different. So I think that's the biggest thing is just if you could shore that up in terms of give him some peace of mind, 
that would go a long way. I, I love your mocking voice, by the way. You kind of get a little low. You're like, oh, it's pretty funny. I think it was good. Uh, New England Patriots, they have a decent amount of cash space here, and, and they could be losing a handful. Yeah. I think it's a clean house situation for the Patriots. I don't think they should be big players this offseason, but here's who they have. Project, they are projected right now at $62.2 million in cash space this offseason, and then some free agency could lose. Joe Tooney, Demir Bird, obviously Cam Newton, Jason McCourty with – if Jason McCourty leaves, does Devin McCourty also leave? Like, he could just ask to be released. Who knows? Uh, Dietrich Wise, Lawrence Guy, Rex Burhead, Burkhead, a team favorite, and James White as well. Some cap casualties. Two guys that opted out of the 2020 season in Dante Hightower and Marcus Cannon. They'd save, what, close to $17 million in cap space if they do release those two. Is this a clean house situation? Should they be trying to, like, turn this 62.2 into, like, a ton of spend, getting a Robinson, go, trying to really build up this season? No. And, and it goes back to what I said off the top. You could be smarter than everyone else in the draft. You can't in free agency as much. There's not as they've big of been, edge. They've been the team that got the edge against them in the draft the last five years. They have not added talent. They have not added young talent to this roster. So you have no building block pieces to build around with those free agents. So you're kind of just spending money recklessly if you go and shoot your wide now. With the way the cap rolls over, spend that money next year. Get that money when it's actually you have a chance of competing. I don't see the way they turn this around this year. Go if if you want, you know, if if you love Mac Jones, go get Mac Jones. Sure, by all means. But I don't think this is the year to try to plug and play and, and end up seven and nine, eight and eight, nine and seven again. Like end up in that range again. That is not going to help you as a franchise. And if you go out and you burn through that cap space, that's where you're going to end up, in my opinion. So. I wouldn't be major players at all, and I, in fact, I'd probably, I this was this would be the year I'd let Stefan Gilmore, you know, get try to see what I can get for him. Guys like that on that roster. Man, looking at the New England Patriots draft history, so you go back to 2015, hit on Trey Flowers, hit on Shaq Mason, and then since then, man, like their best pick might have been yeah. Joe Tooney. The the worst three drafting teams I'd say in the NFL over that span, you got Patriots, Seahawks, Eagles. And when that's the case. One has an elite quarterback that's kind of boosting them. The other two didn't, Struggling. and we saw what happened. All right, New York Jets projected right now at $67.9 million in cap space. Should be going after Zach Wilson at number two overall, if not trying to find that fourth-year leap for Sam Darnold. Who knows? Who knows yeah. what the Jets do? Obviously, our recommendation has been for a while for them to go after Zach Wilson and then potentially keep or trade Sam Darnold, depending on the value you receive. Some potential free agents for the Jets. Marcus May, Neville Hewitt, Rashad Perriman, Terrell Basham. Jordan Jenkins, one of the better slot corners, an underrated slot corner in the NFL, and Brian Poole, Pat Elfline, and Frank Gore, who will be, I think, what, 60 or 62 next year. Yeah, and he's pissed that Adam Gase doesn't have a job. He's like, man. Adam Gase doesn't have a job? I don't think so. I thought he was somewhere floating around. I don't know. I'll take, take a look. Take a look. I'll take a look. Some cap casualties. Henry Anderson, they could cut for $8.2 million. They don't need to cut anybody. They have a lot of cap space, but I could see that happening. He has not delivered on that kind of value. And then Alex Lewis, uh, offensive lineman, they could cut him for $5.2 million in savings. Obviously, they need to address quarterback at number two overall. But after that, I do think you re-sign Brashad Perriman potentially on a one-year deal. You have him. Denzel Mims, you could potentially get into this free agency wide receiver class. Is there enough here for the Jets to make a little bit of a run in the AFC East? I don't know about run AFC East. You're not, take, you're not overtaking the Bills. I'm trying to get excited. But I would love for them to kind of spend some money early to get a nice situation for who, whomever is that quarterback. Yeah. like Hell, even if they keep Sam Darnold, you better yeah, build it up. That's what I'm saying. Get, get in on some offensive linemen. 
get it on some wide receivers. So I would go more offense, but also you could use some help defensively. Robert Salah, obviously in a scheme, needs a pass rush. You need some cover three corners. I think this could low-key be a nice spot for Richard Sherman if he wants to keep Ooh. playing with Salah, had some good years there. Obviously would want to stay in a similar scheme. They would have some money to throw his way to if that's you know where he's looking at. Dude's already one ring. He might not... Probably not a ring chasing at this point. Probably wants to still get paid. Like he wants the us. picks record. He's yeah. on the Chris Collinsworth podcast, and he wants he wants the interceptions record. I believe. Yeah. Uh, why wouldn't he come to Cincinnati for the CC podcast? Ooh. True. Play for the Bengals. We have him in studio. Two. In studio. We have him in studio. Or I guess he'd need to go to Florida for that. Chris Collinsworth yeah, spends most of the offseason in Florida. Well, we'll cross that bridge when we get to it. Fair enough. Sure. And go to the AFC East. You got Josh Allen throwing you picks. You got whoever's playing for the Patriots and the Dolphins throwing you picks. Not That's bad. Not a bad. Not bad. Not a bad. Nah, Josh Allen doesn't throw picks anymore, sorry. That's an old joke. Either way, so with the New York Jets, obviously, whether it's Sam Darnold, Zach Wilson, Justin Fields at quarterback, they need to get aggressive this offseason, in my opinion, at building up that offense. offense. Yep. All right, going to the AFC West here, last four teams, and then we'll jump to the interviews with Rondale Moore and Walker Little. Kansas City Chiefs, minus $23.1 million in cap space. They are going to have to make some moves. Daniel Sorensen, Austin Ryder, Bashad Breland, Sammy Watkins, Mike Pinnell, Le'Veon Bell, and Stefan Wisniewski all expected to be unrestricted free agents, and I would I would probably expect them all to walk, you know, probably find better money elsewhere. And then cap casualties, Eric Fisher coming off a big injury late in the season, won't be ready probably until like November of next year, and they could save $12 million in cutting him. I think he's an obvious candidate. Then you also have Anthony Hitchens and Damian Williams at $2.2 million apiece. I mean, you, you Eric Fisher's healthy, you're... It's like never even a thought. But the way things kind of went with obviously the late injury, having only having negative twenty three million space, having to clear space, they have they almost have to at this point, or else you're gonna kick the can in terms of when we say kick the can, it means converting space salaries this year into signing bonus to push that into forward hits into just into future years that cap space, which is not a great way of doing business because then you have that's how you end up with guys who are mediocre players being like 20 million against your cap that you just don't and you can't get rid of them yeah or else uh, it's a dangerous game it's a dangerous game and that's what's going to about to happen with new orleans saints this year they they did that for years so don't that's and you're when you're in a window like this with patrick mahomes and you're already having to play games like that that's worrisome because they got, got a lot of holes in this roster it is not by any means a complete roster so i don't they're not gonna be players in free agency I don't see how they add talent to this roster. They're already going to have to be pushing, like I said, money out into the future just to get under the cap. If you're going to keep doing that to sign more guys, that's just that is bad business personified. So it's going to be draft for the Chiefs this year, sadly. Alrighty, let's now move to the. I like how you have for the plan for the Kansas City Chiefs is just yikes. Yikes. I mean, they have they have the best quarterback in the NFL, so it's never going to be that bad. But mm-hmm. in terms of like building around him and trying to like make upgrades this offseason, you're going to be hard pressed to find some upgrades with the cap situation they currently have. Yep. It's going to be have to, it's going to have to be through the draft. They got to hit on a couple top fifty picks here, and that that first one at thirty one, I think you're looking at offensive tackle most likely, especially if Eric Fisher is cut. Uh, Las Vegas Raiders, they're in a tough spot too. They don't have one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL, and they have minus $18.7 million in projected cap space. Gruden and Mayock, in some ways, tried to shoot the moon a bit, signing Trent Brown, Tyrell Williams, LaMarcus Joyner, Corey Littleton, Nick Wachowski, Malik Collins. Like They were like, Carl Nassim, everyone, we're going to try and get there. They were kidding the candy shop for a little bit there. Yes, and now, minus $18.7 million in projected cap space, 
They have cap casualties that could be Trent Brown at 14 mil, who has not been healthy, struggled to stay healthy. Tyrell Williams, I think, is already cut or expected okay. to be cut. 10.6 mil. Marcus Mariota is a candidate, even though they really do like them, like him in Las Vegas. LaMarcus Jr., I think, is already gone. I, I, I bet you they cut him as well. They've been playing him a, a bit out of yeah. position on that defense. And then some free agents expected, Denzel Good, Nelson Aguilar, who's had a resurgent season with the Raiders, was their best receiver last year. Nevin Lawson, Jonathan Hankins, Malik Collins, and Jason Witten, who I think retired or is coaching high school football oh, somewhere. Oh, I was going to say, you got to resign Witten. No, no. I think he's I'm coaching kidding. high school was, football next I year. I put that one in there as a joke. Just I to, like it. I like it as a joke. But this is a tough spot, man. I, I, I think they really have to hit on that, that first-round pick they have at 17, and they also need to see some development from Henry Ruggs. Like, they have to, or else this is going to be a bad situation for Derek Carr and the Raiders. This really is the year to take it easy, though. If you are the Oakland Raiders, Las Vegas Raiders, yikes, sorry about that. Um, they've been, like I said, they've been playing with money for too long. The fact that they're already cutting guys, or like we're talking about these cap casualties, Trent Brown, Tyrell Williams, Mark Mariota, Mark Schoener, those are all guys they signed that Mayock has years. signed <laughs> since he got there. And the fact that they're already parting ways with that is the fickleness that is free agency and why it's kind of more often than not, you're not going to be the team that wants to be spending money recklessly like the Raiders. You have to have that core through the draft, and if you don't, it's not going to look good. So, yeah, Marcus Mariota, they literally can't they can't take $11 million from Marcus Mariota for a backup quarterback next year. They just can't. So he's going to be either traded, cut, something. This is the year, in my opinion, for the Raiders to take it easy in free agency. Learn from past mistakes. If you're going to go outlay some money, one-year deals. Maybe a Melvin Ingram. If he wants to play one year, prove it because he's old and hurt that, and you need a pass rush help. Jadavion Clowney. That's where that's the only where place I'd go in free agency is a one year pass rush rental. That's it. And, and this is what baffles me, because right now you're seeing reports that the Las Vegas Raiders have received received interest in teams wanting to trade for Derek Carr. And they've said, absolutely not. They're like turning down offers. And it's, again, I'm going to say this and Raiders fans are going to be really upset. I understand that. Derek Carr last year played like a top 10, top 12 quarterback in the NFL in that 8 to 12 range. Mm. At his worst, I think he's in the 16 16 to 20 range. But this roster is not going to be good enough to win with a Derek Carr-like quarterback, that QB 8 to QB 12, for two or three years. And by then, and I know they're right now working on a restructure or a contract extension, like by then you're banking on so much development from young players, so many like hits in the draft and free agency to, to a point where like, why are you trying to juice this orange with Derek Carr when you can get value for him now, potentially a first and some more, and try and build, down a, build around a rookie on a rookie deal? Because this roster is bad, defensively and offensively. Like, your offensive line is going to take a step back. You don't know what you're going to get from Incognito next year, who's been battling injuries. He had a almost Achilles tear the entire season. Like, he was nursing, like, this calf-slash-Achilles issue all year. Like, I do not think the Raiders would be smart to keep Derek Carr, not because he's not good, He's just not good enough to win with what they've got. Yeah, that's a very fair and accurate take, in my opinion. Because you could expect some sort of progression from some of those young guys defensively. But they have a fucking ways to go. Yes. It's like when they invested all that in their defensive line and after they were the worst pass rushing unit in the NFL. It's like... They went. They had to start from nothing, though. Mm-hmm. Like you had to get so much better just to be average. Max Crosby where, is their best pass rusher. To where they'd have to add so much to this defense just to get to average that. 
Yeah, the, it's the window. I don't foresee 2021, no matter what they do, and free agency being their window. Max Crosby is their best pass rusher, but he's not enough. You know, Cleveland Furl needs to take a step forward. Arden Key, Maurice Hurst. Um, I, you know, they signed Malik Collins, obviously, but he's probably on his way out. Like, this has been – Jonathan Hankins is now on his way out. Like, it's just not – There's Carl Nassib was like a healthy scratch for most of last year. Yeah, I mean, Nassib was never. This is, this is just a bad situation defensively for the Raiders, and I just don't know how they win with Derek Carr with such little supporting talent. And when people come out and say – Carl like, Nassib is like the, the player equivalent. If you're throwing out Carl Nassib, you're admitting bad. your pass rush sucks. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Carl Nassib's in your plan. Not good. Your plan's not good. All right, Denver Broncos, $31.1 million in projected cap space. Big name they could potentially lose is Justin Simmons, obviously. Arguably the best free safety in the NFL, up there with Jesse Bates of Cincinnati. Go Quinn. Go Bengals. Elijah Wilkinson could be on his way out. Shelby Harris, a PFF favorite, a guy that's graded really, really well down the stretch. And then Demarcus Walker, another free agent. Also, Von Miller. They could cut him and save $18 million in cap space. Don't know where he's at currently with the legal situation. Yeah. Also coming off a big injury. But he's a Denver legend, obviously. Yeah. Obviously a Denver You'd legend. You'd think that might be like a restructure opportunity. Potentially. And then Jarrell Casey, who they traded, what, like a seventh-round pick for? They could cut him now and save $11.8 million. I think they do both those things and maybe make a push for Deshaun Watson. Yeah, so if Deshaun Watson is the dream here, I think the roster... Is enough that yeah, you you would love Deshaun Watson as your quarterback. You'd be willing to give up those picks for it. Now I think they have to franchise tag Justin Simmons again because and then still, trade him in that deal, <laughs> possibly. Yeah, in that deal, thirteen point seven three million though only for the second franchise tag. That's how favorable safety contracts are. You get an impact player like him for that's why we say invest in safeties. So got to tag Simmons. I think they could be in the market for one of the mid-tier cornerbacks, like a zone corner, like Shaquille Griffin or Cheeto Bay Awuzie in that defense. And then if you don't get Deshaun Watson, in my opinion, the plan, I would sign Cam Newton for agency and then go target Trey Lance or Justin Fields. And just kick Drew Locke to the curb? Yeah. Wow. That's what That would be my plan. I don't think there's a situation the Denver Broncos do if it doesn't – so Deshaun Watson excluded. If they sign Deshaun Watson, Drew Locke's the backup and probably never plays again Yeah, for Denver. Barring injury. But if they don't, I do think that their plan's going to be Drew Locke is competing with whoever we bring in. Whether that's Jameis, Andy Dalton, Ryan Fitzpatrick, Gardner Minshew, or a quarterback in the draft. I do think that they want to at least let Drew Locke compete. They're not going to go all in on this new style of offense with Newton and Lance. There's just no way, right? But that's I'm saying it more because Only because because they love Drew Locke. That's what I'm saying. Maybe that's the better option, but I do think Denver loves Drew Locke. Because you could get a stylistic mentor for a Trey Lance or a Justin yeah. Fields. That's why enough. I say that. Who's a stylistic menfo- me- mentor for Drew Locke? Ryan Fitzpatrick? Stafford would have been. Stafford would have been. Fair enough. I'm just trying to put Fitzpatrick everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> uh, last one. I don't here, think no- Fitzpatrick's going to give Locke any good habits. Yeah, that's, no, that's true. That's true. Last one here, and we'll jump to the interviews. Los Angeles Chargers. Justin Herbert coming off his Rookie of the Year uh, award. $23.8 million in projected cap space. Some potential losses in free agency, Dan Feeney, Forrest Lamp, Michael Davis, Sam Tevy, Rashawn Jenkins, Hunter Henry, Melvin Ingram, and Denzel Perryman. All could be losses mm-hmm. in free agency. Some ways to gather cap space, Linval Joseph, you cut him, you save $7.9 million. Chris Harris Jr., you cut him, you save $7.5 million. Do they let all these guys walk? It's a ton of guys in free agency they could let walk here. That's the thing. I think they have to kind of retain some of those offensive linemen. Yeah. You weren't good. You can't go from not good to... Literally two or else guys. You're in like a dolphin situation, and, and you Brian draft Balaga. like four. Yeah, um, 
they have to, I would think, retain someone like Forrest Lamp, maybe Sam Tebby, just to keep some stability there. Um, and I would, I would like to keep Hunter Henry. Tight end's not necessarily the biggest need, though. If he's asked for over $10 million a year, he can walk if he wants to. But then I think it's here, defensive line, you could see them spend some money on to shore that up. Obviously, they tried last year with Linval Joseph. Um, he's $7.9 million. It'd be hard-pressed to see, me, see them pay him that much with him being well over 30 and what he's playing like in recent years. I would go somewhere like Leonard Williams, Dalvin Thomas, and Shelby Harris. That's where I'd look. They've had, obviously had a good look at Shelby Harris. He's annihilated their off the line for the past few years. That could be a good. That could be an upgrade for them. Who? What position or who you think they should target at thirteen in the draft? That, I love the receiver position. I do like receiver too. If one of the big three falls to them, I think they go for it. It's like Rashawn Slater's there. That's that's I think your dream. You just get a guy who's good for Justin Herbert's career. Fair enough. You just know you got one. That was fantastic. Can't wait to do the NFC preview on Wednesday. But for now, let's go ahead and jump to interviews with Purdue's Rondell Moore and Stanford offensive tackle Walker Little. In these uncertain times, life is full of questions. Like, when should I start thinking about life insurance? But however difficult these questions may be, Western and Southern can help you answer them. Backed by over 130 years of experience, together we can look ahead to leave the unknown behind. Western and Southern Financial Group, life insurance, retirement, and investments. Compensated endorser, products issued by member companies of Western Southern Financial Group, Cincinnati, Ohio. Joining the 2-4 Drafts podcast is former Purdue wide receiver, Rondale Moore. I, I got to tell you, Rondale, I've been looking forward to this one. We, we, Me and my co-host, Mike, big fans of your game for a long time now. Super excited that you're entering this draft class and have been talking your game up for a while. It's great to, it's great to virtually meet you and get you on the podcast. No doubt. Appreciate you guys having me. Of course, man. So where, where I really want to start is, you know, what are you currently working on? I know you're um, in Indiana right now, but you were in Dallas working out. Who are you working out with in Dallas? So I was at Exos. Brent Calloway is the director there. So I'm doing a lot of different things with him. And then obviously we got a receiver coach who helps with position work and uh, Chris Givens. Mm-hmm. And those are those are the main two that I've been working with. So, so I'm sure you're working with, you know, on a ton of different drills and preparing for your pro day in what I probably assume is late March. Are there any specific drills that you're prioritizing that you really want to work on in this kind of period before the, the pro day or is everything kind of being treated equally? I mean, for me, man, my, my main goal is is to be a better football player. I haven't put too much emphasis on this or that. I've just continued to grind and get better at being a football player. So that means going out, running routes, catching football and uh, doing what I have to do to be a good football player. So. Yeah, absolutely. So looking at this past season, uh, you're listed at what, five foot nine, one eighty. What weight did you play at this past season? And do you, are you setting like any goal weights to kind of work up to? Are you on any diets or those things? I mean, I've, I've dropped body fat uh, mm-hmm. as far as percentages go. I'm around six right now. I'm 183, 184 pounds. I mean, I played at around 185. Um, I mean, but I'm comfortable around 82 to 85, anywhere from there. So uh, no, no diet or anything like that. But I mean, I'm, I'm not out here eating pizza and drinking soda. So. <laughs> you talk to some of these guys though, like they are on very strict diets, either eating a ton to gain weight or like ch- cutting everything out of their diet. A handful of guys not able to eat some of that junk food that they're used to. Uh, I, I want to turn back the clocks a little bit before we dive into kind of what you did at Purdue and, mm-hmm. and talk about your high school experience. You know, former Gatorade Kentucky Player of the Year. You were like 
an absolute freak at Kentucky for your junior and senior year. Let it, you know, perfect 15 no season in your senior year there um, in Kentucky. Like your high school background sounds absolutely absurd. Former four star recruit. Talk to me about your high school experience, all the successes you had there, and then also the recruiting process where you had a ton of offers, were clocked at a 4 3 3, you know, at one of the Nike openings, I think is where that was. How, how crazy was that experience for you? Yeah, man, I enjoyed it, you know, and hats off to everyone who's been a part of this journey, especially my trainer, Chris Vaughn, who's down here in Louisville. I've actually been working with him the last few days, but uh, he's over at Aspirations. He did a great job prepared to, you know, run fast and uh, do what I have to do in order to perform. So, I mean, just to speak on my high school, it was a, a Catholic all-boy all high school in uh, Louisville, Kentucky, man. We, uh, we, our head coach, Bob Beatty, who just retired, uh, taught toughness. Um, and that's that's exactly what you were going to get um, out of him. So, you know, going into Trinity, my high, my expectations were really high for myself. And uh, I opened my ears and I shut my mouth and I did what I had to do in order to be able to figure it out. So uh, my junior year, when I first got there, I was actually ineligible because I transferred from New Albany. I missed that whole season, first round of the playoffs. I got back and had four games. And throughout that time, it was like a, a blessing in disguise, if you will, because <clears throat> before I even ran a route, man, I, I was at 7 a.m. quarterback meetings before um, school, and I was sitting in the press box watching practice. So wow. I, I learned defenses, um, and I got to look at the game differently, thanks to a guy named Andrew Coverdale, who's a, a great friend of mine, mentor as well. But, man, he taught me so much about the game, and, you know, it slowed down for me and gave me a chance to play early at the next level. But, man, I got a chance to go undefeated and, and like you said, win uh, – two state championships, play some great competition, and, you know, it was great. I mean, and they had to have done a good job preparing you because you go to Purdue and absolutely light the world on fire. You know, 114 receptions for 1,258 yards, 12 touchdowns. One of the craziest, I'll say this, one of the craziest true freshman seasons I think the game has ever seen uh, from a wide receiver. I, I need to know... Like, because you obviously you commit to Purdue over some big offers from, you know, Blue Blood programs, Alabama, Texas, these things. You go to Purdue and you immediately become the focal point of the offense. What was that offseason like between obviously the high school in Kentucky and then going to Purdue? I'm sure you had to have been thrown into the fire and realized very quickly you were going to be a guy that gets 10, 15 targets a game. Yeah, I mean, like I said, man, not to sound like a broken record or harp on it, but man, those, those two guys were really important in my development as a, as a ball player. Uh, Chris Vaughn and Andrew Coverdale, and I, I say that from a mental aspect of understanding what's going on, the X's and O's of ball. So when I got out there, the game wasn't as fast as a 17, 18-year-old. And Chris Vaughn, just as far as my my strength, uh, my quickness, speed, um, and things like that. So, I mean, those two guys, not to take anything away from myself, but, man, I hats off to those guys for taking the time out of their their lives and to help me with that process. And was part of the decision to go to Purdue knowing that you'd have as much opportunity as you did as a true freshman? I mean, yeah, no doubt about it. I, Coach Brown went to my high school uh, prior relationship before he even got to Purdue. Crazy enough, I could have ended up at WKU. Um, for me, the the relationship was really important. So um, with Coach Shep, my receiver coach, and Coach Brown, I, I was comfortable going to play for those two guys. And in the seasons after that, obviously battled some injuries in 2019 and even and some lingering injuries in 2020, in addition to obviously COVID-19 impacting the Big Ten season. 
I'd love to hear more about just what these past two seasons have been like for you and how the rehab process has gone, where you at, are, where you are you right now with your health. And I think just the mental challenge it was to kind yeah. of not play as much football as you probably should have and, and, and all of that that went down. Yeah, I mean, I had two hamstrings, grade ones that, I mean, you know, I'll be excited when the medicals come out and I, I get a chance to clear my slate and go run and, and go play ball, man. It's been disappointing um, just because, you know, you go through spring ball and mat drills and summer workouts and you work so hard and, um, you know, your season gets shortened by injuries or whatever the case may be. But, man, there's a there's a lot of tools I've added in my toolbox, man, and I haven't had a chance to, you know, go out there and show. But, I mean, man, in a nutshell, I think I'm the same player. Matter of fact, I won't even say I think I know I'm the same guy. Um, I don't think it should be a question. Uh, but like I said, man, I'm excited to, you know, go out there and prove it. So I'm uh, kind of like an underdog and, you know, that – uh makes my stomach rumble. So I'm excited. I want to talk more about your role at Purdue because looking at, you know, the types of routes you run, you ran and kind of how you were utilized at Purdue is very, I don't want to sound condescending, a little bit of a gadgety role in that they're trying to get you the ball very early in the play. A lot of behind the line of scrimmage stuff, a lot of crossers and these types of things, screens and that matter. How do you plan to, you know, add a legitimate, full route tree at the next level? And is it something that you're currently working on now, running routes and those things? Because I've talked to other guys in similar situations like Diami Brown from UNC ran a very vertical route tree, not a ton of underneath stuff. Brandon Ayuk from a few years ago was a guy that ran like two or three routes at Arizona State. I'm interested to know what steps you're taking to kind of expand that route tree. Yeah, I mean, for me, man, I, I always work on improving my game outside of practice and everything that's going on alongside the team. So um, when I'm back at home training with Chris, my trainer, Chris, or um, whatever I'm doing, man, I'm just becoming a better football player. As as a player at Purdue, man, I just I was doing what was asked of me, um, and I just went out there and tried to execute. I, I really didn't get into how many yards I was down on the field or what route doing this. It was it was imperative for me to just go out there and win, um, and you know I, I did that. So uh, just to speak on what type of routes I've been working on, I mean every route you can think of, I have the ability uh, to run any route in the route tree. I want to learn more about kind of the process you had in season watching game film and some of the things that you did preparing for each pre- preparing for each week in college and what you were looking at on film, what you were looking at from opposing defenses or opposing corners that you would see. I'm interested to know a little bit more about your process studying game film weeks prior to games. Yeah, so my, my film study all the day after. So Sunday, I'm obviously getting my body right. Um, we're probably going to have a, a run and then some some corrections. But for me, man, I, I would I would link up with my receiver coach, Coach Shepard, man, and, and we'd go over uh, technique and and try to figure out some <clears throat> just some little things I could grab throughout the week. Oh, he's an off he's an offhand guy. He he motors out. He's not aggressive. He's this. He's that. So little things like that, little nuances that would help me uh, play faster, just because I knew what was coming. Um, but as far as coverage, recon, uh, like recognizing coverages, uh, I was pretty good at that. So, you know, like I said, I had a, a lot of knowledge coming in. And, you know, as a third-year guy in the Big Ten, Zebra doesn't change the strike. So a lot of the teams are playing the same coverages. They get new guys and they switch up techniques and things of that sort. You know, but for me, I, my game plan was always the same. Man. Let's go execute um, and whatever's called, just make the best of it. And in the offseason or, or since the season ended, how much has that process changed? What film are you watching now? Are you watching more film on yourself? I know a lot of guys watch film on NFL guys in the offseason or doing a combination of those things. What what kind of film are you watching now? All of it, honestly. And, you know, right now I think the most important thing for me is understanding what's going on. Um, I think adjusting fast at the next level will be imperative in my development. So I think it's 
only right that I assure I uh, surround my myself with people who can help me with that. So uh, right now I've been watching a lot of film as far as um, depths and widths of safeties and um, different things like that. I mean, the hashes are tighter, so it's a little easier to disguise coverages. Um, but I, I think when I get out there and, and get things rolling, it'll, it'll speed up for me. But uh, as far as, as studying guys, man, there's a few receivers that you know, I really like. I enjoy watching Diggs, um, uh, Cup, love the way he plays with tempo. Um, I mean, obviously, Hulo, he has all the intangibles. So, I mean, I think he's he's a good one. Keenan Allen wins on Sundays running routes. Um, and then obviously I got to throw Tyreek in there. So you have to, guys, for sure. How much Steve Smith senior have you watched kind of an older player? I guess not super old. I remember when he's you know, played his last game in Baltimore, but one of the comparisons I think you get a ton is Steve Smith senior because he smaller guy, efficient route runner that could win on the outside. Because I do think that's a question mark that you see when you see Rondell Moore scattering reports. Can he win on the outside? Can he be more than a slot player being that Steve Smith, alpha i think matters if you want to be you know win at this that you know his size or your size on the outside how much of he wa have how much of him have you watched and what's your opinion overall of like winning on the outside versus the outside uh the inside yeah I, I think steve smith will be a great study for me um i'm gonna be totally honest i haven't watched a ton of steve smith obviously i know a little bit and um i've seen i've seen a lot of clips um, definitely strong tough with the ball i mean we do a lot of similar things i think i'm obviously a little faster than him but um I think winning on the inside, winning on the outside is all up to the player. I don't think size or anything like that really matters. I mean, I think if you have enough tools in the toolbox, you're crafty enough, um, your intellect of the game is high enough, you know what's going on. Um, you can compete for those 50-50s. You can run by guys. Um, so I think if you have all those intangibles, man, it doesn't matter if you're 6'5", if you're 5'10". Um, for me, I think it's just a mentality. Well, I really wish you the best of luck moving forward, and I appreciate the time, man. Like I said <clears> – <throat> Really excited to see you play in the NFL. And, and like I said, wish you the best of luck moving forward. Thank you. I appreciate it. Joining the 2-4 Draft podcast is former Stanford offensive tackle Walker Little. I know right now you're out there training in Texas. I hope you're staying safe, man. Yeah, no, I'm doing well. Uh, been on the snow and a lot and stuff. And it's, you know, hurt a lot of parts of Texas. But I've been okay out here and uh, just trying to keep training and keep getting ready for pro day coming up. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, the biggest question I have for you is is what have you been up to? You know, only played one game in 2019 then obviously suffered uh, a season-ending injury and then opted out of the 2020 football season. I'm sure you're probably in the best shape of your life. I mean, like, you have to have been just doing nothing but working out and eating. Like, talk to me about what you've been up to over the past, you know, two years now, I guess. Yeah, I mean, so after I got injured, obviously, there was a lot of rehab, a lot of, you know, being with the team, watching the team, trying to help out in any ways I could, uh, lifting any way I could, things like that. Um, and then kind of after the season, it was still a little more rehab. But by spring ball time, you know, I was back and ready to go. Obviously, COVID happened, and we were kind of stuck at home for a little while. So, yeah, like you said, it was just kind of morning training, things like that. And then uh, once we were able to kind of get back to campus, um, we got there for a little bit, and then, you know, Pac-12 got shut down. And uh, so I – we ended up, you know, having a conversation with my coach, uh, decided kind of the best option for me was to opt out of the season, signed with the agent and went down to, uh, originally actually the Exos in Pensacola. And I was training there for, you know, the whole football season and training. I was able to do some O-line work with different coaches and stuff like that. And, uh, so yeah, but like you said, best shape of my life and feeling really good and you know, ready to attack the pro day and this draft process. 
I'm sure your body has changed a decent amount, or I guess I'm assuming. What weight did you play at in 2018 in that first game for 2019, and where are you at right now? Yeah, I was about like 310 then. I'm at like 318 now. Um, but even that doesn't even tell the whole picture. My body fat's gone down a lot, and I just feel a lot more explosive, a lot faster, and a lot definitely you know, a lot, a lot stronger than I ever was uh, on the football field, which is uh, you know, giving me a lot of confidence for my readiness for the NFL. So obviously working out on working with Exos, which I've heard you know only good things about that that company does a lot of good work preparing guys for the combine in previous years and now pre- preparing guys for their pro day. Have you had any opportunities to work like legitimate offensive line technique? I've heard that you're working with Paul Alexander and doing some drills with him, but have you gone against any pass rushers? That's what that's what I'm really interested in seeing like what you've done to work whether it's off field and one on one drills or whatever it may be. Yeah. I'll be honest, I haven't been able to get, you know, a true, like, one-on-one reps in terms of, like, putting pads on and things like that. Um, just because mostly it's kind of hard to convince people to kind of – Oh, absolutely. <laughs> um, but, I mean, I've been able to go uh, go against whether it be, like, other offensive linemen or some defense linemen here or there just giving me looks. But, you know, I haven't had maybe a full-speed live rep here in some time. So, uh, trying to replicate the best I can with different line drills and things like that and just staying quick and staying fast and, like I said, staying strong. So uh, that's kind of the only way I can kind of work with it right now. If that's an invite for me to go put on pads and go against you one-on-one, maybe I'll do it. I'll have to think about it, Walker, but uh, we'll see how it goes. Um, at Stanford, were you able to finish and graduate with a degree and all that stuff? I know some of that can be a little bit murky when you had that season-long injury and then opted out of the season. Yeah, no, uh, I, I actually was. I was able to graduate kind of this, this past quarter uh, at the end of December there, uh, degree, degree in communication. So I was really happy about that. I'm happy to, to be done with school now for, a little, for the time being um, and really proud to graduate from a great university like Stanford. I want to turn back the clocks a little bit and, and, and talk about the recruiting process for you because I feel like for those who don't know about your background, you were like legit the crown jewel of the 2017 recruiting class. Five-star recruit, ninth best overall recruit in the country, according to 24-7 Sports. You were listed at six foot seven, three fifteen in that range now, had offers from more than 30 schools. How crazy was that process for you? Because I'm sure every school in Texas, every school in the SEC wanted to get their hands on, you know, Walker Little. I'm sure that must have been nuts, like at 18 years old, the, all that interest as a five-star recruit in 2017. Yeah, I know the recruiting process was definitely crazy. Um, you know, I was able to do a lot of good things on the on the field and do a lot of good things at camp to kind of rise those rankings up and things like that. And kind of with that came a lot of you know, heavy attention from schools and stuff and going on a lot of cool visits and uh, getting to see a lot of the great programs around the country. Uh, but then, yeah, like obviously everyone knows now, I eventually settled on Stanford and uh, all the great things that school and that team had to offer. Um, but that recurring process was definitely a wild time in my life and something I'll never forget. Three sport athlete in high school played basketball and track in addition to football. Talk to me about your game as a basketball player. You work in the post, a three ball, a three and D guy. I'm interested to know what kind of basketball player you were. Yeah, I was, I was definitely not a shooter. I was uh, <laughs> down low and I was a lot of defense. That was my game was just kind of moving in the post and things like that. Um, uh, but yeah, that, that's where I did most of my work. 
Moving forward into the seasons that you were able to suit up for Stanford, I think I wanted to look at the 2018 season. You earned an 81.2 pass blocking grade from PFF, and your pass blocking grade was growing with each year up until that injury in 2019. But some of the pass rushers you went against, you had like a good host of pass rushers there in the Pac-12. I know Justin Hollins of Oregon, Bradley Anai of Utah, Bowman, Ryan Bowman of Washington. Who were some guys that – and you went against Notre Dame that season as well. Dalen Hayes, Khalid Kareem. Who were some of the guys that gave you the most fits that season? And what do you take away from that full season playing left tackle at Stanford against some of those guys? Yeah, I mean, some of those guys you listed, you know, Bradley and I, Justin Hollins, uh, those guys from Notre Dame, um, Bowman from Washington, they all those teams had some really good pass rushers and those guys in particular. And uh, they were all, you know, posed different challenges, were different rushers, uh, and, you know, were hard, hard to block for different reasons. But um, it was just, you know, having a good approach each game and then, um, but like you said, learn from each opponent, maybe where they were able to get you, get around you and learn something and bring that into the next week, next, next game, then ultimately kind of looking back on a whole season and, and taking back kind of where you might have got left an edge there or let the been a, a step behind there and then kind of bring that all together and coming into the next season, uh, being better and being quicker at it and being able to react a little sooner and you know have a little better footwork here or there, get your hands in the right position. So um, and those are all things that obviously I've had plenty of time to look at over the past you know, few months and years, honestly. I know you haven't had a ton of opportunities to do this, but preparing in a given game week, I've talked to offensive tackles that like Jonah Williams is a prime example who like kept an Excel sheet of all mm-hmm. the moves that players use against him and all that stuff. What were you doing on film preparing each week? What were you looking for uh, from opponent pass rushers, opposing defenses and, and kind of the tendencies you look for? Yeah, no, um, I had a similar deal where I would kind of just keep a, a notebook and, you know, jot down different pass rushers, uh, what their, like kind of the moves they went to, what they were winning at, what they were getting pressures at or, or getting sacks on. Um, and then just kind of going through each of their games, specifically kind of the past three games, but then any sacks or any pressures before that. Um, and after you kind of look through all that and see, you know, where they're getting the pressures at, what's their go-to move uh, on third and 10, you know, what do I think they're going to be coming at? You can kind of get a good picture at, uh, what kind of a rusher they are and what they're going to be using against you. Um, and that kind of gives you a lot of confidence going into a, a week of practice, being able to you know, get looks at that. And then ultimately, you know, getting to the game and really feeling like you've had a solid week um, and really having a lot of confidence in what you know, you're going to be going up against. And how much film have you watched, you know, since that experience playing in 2019? And what are you looking for now? I'm sure you've watched a ton of film on yourself, maybe even on some NFL guys. What are you looking for on film these days? Yeah. So, I mean, I've definitely obviously watched a ton of film myself and still do uh, just kind of keep sharp and keep going through our plays, making sure you know, I know our whole system in and out and things like that. Um, but a lot of recent times has been a lot of NFL film, watching some NFL rushers, uh, a lot of guys around the league and, and try, starting to kind of create a booklet on them and jot down what, what similar things, what kind of rushes do they do and things like that. And, and um, see what tackles are really dominating around the league and how they're able to do that and what techniques they're using to you know, get an edge on these great rushers um, to kind of, you know, work that into my own game. So when I, when I, you know, my numbers call, I'm able to just kind of go out there and dominate how I'd like to. That's awesome that you're watching like NFL pass rushers. I don't think I've heard yeah. that from any of the offensive tackles in this class. I'd be interested to know after watching some of those guys, who do you feel like when you get to the NFL would rack, you know, rack your brain the most or, or make things most difficult? Yeah. I'd say the hardest one I've watched like so far uh, is Miles Garrett um he's just the combination of elite speed 
um, elite size, then really what kind of is his X factor is his ability to bend. Um, he really can create an edge where it, where it doesn't look like there is an edge there. Um, and he's just a long, strong, fast guy, uh, pretty much has every move in the box. So uh, he's definitely the hardest kind of go to, to game plan against, I would say. Well, here's the, you getting drafted by an AFC North team that isn't the Cleveland Browns, so we get to see that matchup in 2021 and beyond. Walker, this has been great. I really appreciate you setting aside the time, and uh, best of luck moving forward. Yeah, I appreciate it any time. Rondo Moore, man, I'll start there. That dude is all business. And before I got him on the air, I was trying to like, you know, every time I talk to these guys, I try and break them down a little bit, just get them to laugh, get them to know me. Was not having it, dude. And he was just like, that guy, I think, feels disrespected. That stuff he said about being an underdog is real. Like, he feels that he is getting slept on in this class. I, I And his 40 time, he told me, off the air is going to be pretty bonkers. I, I'm telling you right now, he's off the record. But Rondell Moore came away really, really impressed. And the biggest takeaway I had is if you have guys like Terrace Marshall, Tutu Atwell, that range of receiver ranked ahead of Rondell Moore, you better look out, buddy, because that guy is coming for blood absolutely coming for blood and then my takeaways for walker little just hasn't played a lot of football when i asked him if he's gone against defensive linemen and pads since that game in 2019 he said no like it's been yeah, a while that's, that's this insane. guy has this guy has not played legitimate football in a while and i think it's a big reason why he'll probably go later than where we have him on the draft board i think he's in the 40s right now on our draft board but it sounds like i mean this guy's in the best shape of his life like all the guys that have opted out and watching a ton of film watching a ton of film on nfl guys i, I do think that 2021, I don't think Walker Little is going to be a Tristan Wirfs-like impact, full stop, obviously. But I do think if you invest in him on day two, you're getting a guy that his best football ahead of him is going to be great. I mean, a former five-star recruit, insane recruiting background. He's not a shooter, though. I asked about the basketball. He's a a low post Post, guy. Post guy. It's out the game now. It's all shots. It's all shots. So he's not going to be a basketball player. So Um, Not surprised, but very happy that you found your guy this year that won you over in an interview. Rondell Moore, that man. You, and I liked Rondell Moore going in. I, I came know. away way more excited about this guy. He's a very he's every, very uh, smart, traditional, like very dedicated. I, I think this guy, and I love the underdog mentality. A guy with that athletic ability and that, like, all, all the tools. Do you think he went to Purdue just to, so he could be an underdog still? He went, to the, he went to Purdue over the offers he did have. And he, we talked about this. He went to Purdue because of the opportunity. He knew he was going to yeah. get fed. Well, yeah. Jeff Brom, too. Jeff Brom, too. But he had over 115 targets as a as a true freshman. Yeah, I know. I mean, he went there because he was going to get the ball. And we talked about his also. I mean, Rondell Moore interview was awesome. You just heard it. But the the part I also really liked is talking about his route tree and how he expects to kind of just like dominate at the next level despite size. It's just a really good interview. I would love though for someone to shoehorn themselves into being an underdog, like a five star recruit to go to an FCS program and be like, no one believed in me. You had offers from Bama. No, no one believed in me. <laughs> All right, that's going to do it for this episode uh, of Two Point Drafts. Make sure you rate, review, and subscribe for the mailbag coming up this week. Leave a five-star review in Apple Podcasts with a question, and we will guarantee get to your question and answer it on a future episode for the mailbag. Maybe next year. but Maybe next year. We're backlogged, but we'll get there. Until next time, Austin Gale, producer Mike Quinn, and Mike Renner, Two for One Drafts. Yeah.